In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, in the name of the one who was, who is, and who is to come, um, I greet you. Good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. Whoa, yes, we've got a majority here today. That's great. What a great time of the year uh, it, it is. It's, it's Christmas. I mean, Christmas is coming. 14 sleeps until the Christmas Eve. Goodness gracious me. It's un- unbelievable. Wasn't it just yesterday that we had Christmas? I know it's, uh, that Christmas is coming because last Saturday I went with two of our uh, three sons and three of our four grandsons uh, to find a Christmas tree at a nearby uh, Christmas tree farm. It's become a family ritual really, uh, selecting a tree, having it cut down, taking it home uh, and then decorating it. This year, two-year-old Patrick, you can just see at the front there, a very sunny day last uh, Saturday before last. Two-year-old Patrick joined almost six-year-old Jaunty and four-year-old Max. Uh, Maybe next year, three-month-old Harvey. Um, uh, We just have sons and grandsons. That's just the way it is in our family. Uh, We'll come too. It's one way that we prepare as a family, as we wait to celebrate uh, the gift of God putting on human clothes and moving into into our human or our earthly neighbourhood. By the way, um, Jaunty now has a broken arm. That's the eldest one. He did it on Thursday night. I wasn't able to Photoshop that in. It's the second time he's broken his arm. A few weeks back, uh, I, uh, went, we went, uh, I went actually to purchase uh, my first batch of cherries for the year. And they weren't you pick ones, it was just they were already picked. Uh, but it's always fun to have the first cherries, the fresh, uh, juicy cherries that, that are starting out the season. Uh, it was the week before we had that really big downpour um, a, a, a few weeks back. And the orchardist was pretty concerned uh, that the rain that would come would actually spoil uh, his crop and his developing crop uh, of cherries. Very, very concerned. He, he went on to talk about a corner of his orchard that consists of about 100 apricot trees uh, and of how um, his wife at one day was admiring the um, pretty pink blossom. That's the one slide before. That's the one. Admiring the pretty pink blossom uh, and it was just, a, obviously it was going to be a good crop coming up and um, how next morning uh, a heavy August frost burnt the blossoms away. That's the next one. There you can see uh, how uh, the, the, the crop is lost. Uh, the best part of the crop uh, was lost. It got me thinking about the fragile nature of life on the land. And as someone who grew up in Mildura, uh, visited there just a couple of weeks ago, acknowledged the, the frailty, the fragility of, 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 of being on the land and of preparing uh, ahead and waiting for uh, a crop to come uh, and um, the gift, if you like, of, of a perfect crop and how sometimes excellent preparation and patient waiting really does deliver. Sometimes. And sometimes it doesn't. And that reminds me of the fragile nature of life itself and of health and of relationships and the entire human experience. Today's text that we just had read to us by Jill is from Matthew chapter 1. I'm intrigued how the writer of Matthew uh, cuts straight to the chase with the birth story of Jesus. He summarises the whole narrative uh, in uh, uh, the birth of the King of Kings uh, quite succinctly, cramming it into eight verses. At least Mark's Gospel, if you were to turn over the pages in your Bible a little bit, ostensibly may be drawn from the same source 
uh, fills in a bit of background, but again, it overlooks uh, other details as well. John, of course, uh, has a beautiful poem at the commencement uh, of his gospel, and it culminates in, in the, the, the really beautiful words, so the word became human and lived here on earth among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only son of the father. And then, of course, there's Luke. In Luke, there's 76 uh, verses in chapter 1 uh, that talk about the birth narrative. There's 40 verses uh, in chapter 2, all before chapter 3, uh, where uh, Luke goes on and proceeds to talk about John the Baptist preparing the way uh, for the Messiah, for Jesus who's coming. Now, interestingly enough, sidebar and unscripted, um, Dr. Luke, who is the, the person who wrote Luke, Luke um, gives no details at all about the birth weight of Jesus. Or how long labour was. Now, I think there are questions that we'd be wanting to know the answer to today. But nevertheless, there's a whole lot more backstory and a whole lot more detail that is in Luke's gospel than there is in the other three gospels. In this extended piece, we find colour. We find uh, backstory. We find details. We hear more about people. We hear about dreams. We hear about miracles. Uh, they are contained there. If Matthew's uh, account, uh, eight verses, is just a two-minute pop song, um, Luke's account is, if you like, a 35-minute jazz improvisation piece uh, that we're never quite sure where it's going to begin or end. Uh, and uh, it's just the longer story. And we'll get back to Luke in a little while. It felt important to start with Matthew, although I will wander, uh, maybe not meander, I'll wander uh, with meaning and purpose uh, into Luke in, in just a while. In Matthew, the story of the birth of Jesus is told in simple matter-of-fact statements. And I mean, this is the incarnation. This is the, the birth of God in human clothes, but it's just put down in simple, factual language. Nevertheless, the messiness of this miraculous event is not hidden. In those ancient times, in the year of betrothal, uh, the publicly announced engagement period, if you like, happy couples didn't have sex, for that waits until the marriage proper, designing a continuing virtue and aspiration for Christian couples to this day. God's disruptive miracle of... Mary being pregnant disturbs the integrity of the moment and it, it challenges the integrity of Joseph as well. And understandably, for both their sakes, he thinks the easiest, best, quickest, most sensible and to maintain integrity for everybody thing to do would be to seek a divorce, which was the only way out of betrothal uh, in those times. But God intervenes again in a dream. In fact, if we were here for another day, we could talk about all of the dreams that there are in the various accounts of the birth and the, narr the, the birth narrative of Jesus. There's a, a lot of dreams there. God speaks to us in dreams. I uh, said uh, another topic um, for another day. Uh, in that dream, God explains what is really going on. It's a miracle. And he says, basically, he says to Joseph, trust the process. It's okay. It's going to work out Okay, oh, easy to say, um, easy for those words to be heard, but for Joseph that must have been an amazing thing to have, have grappled with and have worked through, but he does. He, he obeys and the rest is history. Um, and so as one commentator puts it rather neatly, the God who created humanity in the beginning from nothing without the agency of a woman or a man now created Jesus of Nazareth without the agency of a man. 
the second Sunday of Advent today. It's good to keep all of this birth narrative in mind, of course, um, for indeed it fills our senses um, it, for good and otherwise as we uh, te- watch the television commercials with Christmas sales and, and we hear and read about and maybe attend secular carols events and the Muzak of supermarkets and shopping centres. Nevertheless, it seems right to look at it and to look at it well and to look at it from another angle today and to consider these three words again. Prepare, wait and gift. And, and through those words, to enter into the process, the, the, the narrative of, of this story. And so we, we flick across to, uh, to Luke chapter 1. Um, and, and verses 5 to 7. It all begins with a Jewish, pri- with a Jewish priest, Zechariah, who lived where, when Herod was king of Judea. Zechariah was a member of the priestly order of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was barren and now they were both very Old. Here is an echo, of course, of a, a f- quite familiar Old Testament couple, um, Abram and Sarai. They too were very old. They too uh, were too old, it would seem, in human terms, uh, to be able to produce children. It wasn't good for a beautiful uh, and betrothed Jewish woman to become pregnant, but it was extremely awkward and shameful for a Jewish woman to be barren, whatever the cause was, or within which party the adequacy actually dwelt. So described inevitably as it is in these patriarchal times as being the woman is barren. Maybe. Whatever the cause was, whatever the cause was. Like Elizabeth and Zechariah, they'd done all of their preparing, Abram and Sarai. They'd uh, Possibly both couples had prepared a space for a child, not only in their hearts. Here it is, it's bouncing our heart. Not only in their hearts, but maybe they'd also prepared an ancient nursery. And by now they were done with all that preparation. The story of the couple that are later renamed Sarah and Abraham is a story of hope and faith and courage. They bravely stepped out of all they knew, the securities of context and culture and language and family, for they'd received a promise, one that they had rather one that they rather messily tried to circumvent through a very human shortcut, but before in God's timing their son was born, and the rest is history. And you can read about that history. All of the chapters in the Bible after Genesis chapter 12 describe the ongoing and outworking of this commitment of Sarah and Abraham to be to be responsive to God and to obey his call. Well on in years, Elizabeth. Old man Zechariah, back to the Luke story. They were also prepared with a surprising and a disturbing promise. Their promised son would precede the arrival of the Messiah and their son would prepare the way for him. Parenting was an experience that they had prepared for but had almost forgotten. But now it was coming to pass. Luke also describes in his first chapter the angelic promise made to Mary, something she was definitely not prepared for. You're going to get pregnant without sex. Ah, imagine that. Let alone being pregnant with the Messiah, every Jewish girl's dream. Wow. 
She was definitely not prepared for that little nudge or not so little nudge from God, but her gentle and yet her courageous yes to what was happening and the poetic song of praise that's there in Luke's gospel describe how she was being prepared for this outrageous action of this disruptive God. And so to some questions. Has God ever prepared you for something? What was it? When was it? What was the outcome? And do you recall a time when the unexpected happened? Something that took your breath away because you weren't prepared for it? And what was the outcome? Are you ever tempted to say no to God? When yes would be the best for everybody, despite the journey there? Life uh, is filled with moments of waiting. Expectant parents is a rather obvious one in the context of the text and Christmas and and Megan and Charlie's journey. It's just that waiting around. And of course, from this side of town, there's crossing over the West Gate. That, I understand, can be an issue some days. (laughs) The queue at the supermarket. Should I change to another one? You know that one too. Your doctor's surgery. Never seem to be on time, do they? Waiting for the medical results. Waiting for exam results. And the list goes on and already your brain has probably rattled onto another uh, range of things that for you, maybe even this last week or even today, um, that has been waiting for you, that has been a challenge. Of course, Santa Claus is coming to town and children, and not only children, are waiting for Christmas, uh, for Christmas Day, wondering what's in that neatly wrapped present underneath the tree. It was my middle sister, Marion, my late middle sister, Marion, when she was younger, and I was a lot younger, who would always be the one to poke and prod the presents underneath the tree. She was the one who always wanted to know what was there. She was the worst in our family for poking and prodding um, the Christmas presents, at least, if not other things, (laughs) at other times. But back to that ancient story of the old couples. They were waiting. They'd been prepared for decades. Maybe they'd even given up waiting, despite the promises God had made. Their minds and their hearts and their bodies seemed to have turned to other things. Many times in life, God calls us to, the, to wait. Sometimes his best answer to prayer is wait. We don't always like to hear that. It seems at times as though our vocation, our calling as the people of God, our vocation is to wait. People who are working out what it means to follow Jesus in these crazy days of the 21st century, it seems as though that's our task. Wait. Really, really do we do it well alone, this waiting. I love the interaction between Elizabeth and Mary uh, in Luke's telling um, of of the the narrative. Uh, Listen to it. 
A few days later, Mary um, hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, You are blessed by God above all women and your child is blessed. What an honour this is that the mother of my Lord should visit me. When you came in and greeted me, my baby jumped for joy the instant I heard your voice. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. Yes, this is waiting. But this is waiting with another, with a conversation partner. On Thursday morning, I had breakfast with Greg. Greg and I have been meeting together now for, we're not too sure how long. He's from another tribe. He used to have a similar role to what I had uh, in Churches of Christ in Victaz in that particular tribe. Uh, we meet every month or so. Uh, we, um, uh, we talk about different things. He concluded his role uh, a year before I did, so that's nearly two year, oh, about two years ago now. Our regular conversations once focused on the leadership privileges uh, that we were uh, engaged in are now filled with different encouragements and different challenges urging each other on in our discernment of what God has for us in our new seasons. For both of us, it has involved and it involves a period of waiting. Of waiting. And it's so great to be waiting with another. With another. Sarai and Elizabeth were waiting for something. They were prepared, something that they were prepared for. Mary was waiting for something that God was actively preparing her for. She wasn't prepared for it, but God was preparing her for it. And together in community, the people of God had been waiting centuries for the Messiah. And John the Baptist would later fulfill that ancient prophecy where he would be preparing the way for Jesus. Hundreds of years before, waiting. So some questions. What is the most significant time of waiting that you have experienced? How did it feel? What happened? And who do you wait with? Who are you waiting with? gift if we know what we are waiting for if it is clear there is a gift when the waiting ends everything feels very different a few years ago my older sister found something it had been lost really my mum had uh, passed away and um, the unit had been emptied and there was a lot of things that had been gathered over the years and um, piled up, and over time my sister went wandering through them, probably meandering, and she came across something that was really special to me. And so she rang me up and said, I found, oh, I said. I could get emotional about it. Oh, I said, I'll wait for you to send it. She'd prepared me. And I waited. And then, Australia Post did deliver. Oh, Bun, how are you? And this is Bun. Bun was my companion. 
Bun, uh, as you can see, Bun's been repaired. Um, he's not got much hair left on him except um, a little bit between his legs. Um, a rabbit, one eye. But very, very important. Very, very important. I, I love Bun. Bun reminds me of my mum. And my dad. But I was waiting for it to be delivered. Prepare. Wait. Gift. At Christmas, as Christmas nears, we can see at the foot of the tree a gift, or even gifts that have our name attached. We are prepared for a gift, even though we may not know what it is. So we wait for the gift to be unwrapped and to be surprised, even if we're not really surprised, uh, and to be always appreciative, even though that might be a marginal decision with some presence. For those, for those times, the fear level is low. Surely it won't be something bad. The worst case is that it's something that you could very carefully give to someone else the year later. Or maybe even in two or three years, very carefully, out of your suburb, give it to an op shop. Or, I guess, it could be some more socks and underwear for your pile in the, in the drawer at home. So here we are today. Unlike Zechariah and Elizabeth, Mary and Joseph and their families and neighbours, most of us know the Christmas story um, reasonably well. How many times have we heard it? We are well prepared for the Advent journey that we have briefly explored today, that we've been coming in and out of over these days leading up to Christmas Day. We know the background, we know the events, and particularly how this rather messy human circumstance makes perfect sense when we see it from the disruptive God's perspective and, or the, and the hindsight that the centuries now provide for us and the pages of the text that provide also a filling out of the detail that we need to have, that we need to have. Nevertheless, we continue to re rehearse this old, old story, knowing it is, or, or can be, ever new, new every day, new every morning, new every hour. And so we wait with some confidence for this to continue Again, and maybe for some of us here in this room, uh, for the first time, or maybe it's for the first time that we wait for this experience with a life or death meaning attached to it. And so a question. How well have you unwrapped the gift? This season is a perfect time to engage and even answer that question. How well have you unwrapped the gift? The very core of the Christian narrative, and it is a salvation story after all, is that God moved into our neighbourhood, revealing his love, his grace, his mercy, his hope and compassion in Jesus Christ. God the flesh, who later would live and die and rise again for all the world's population, past, present and future. And it reminds us that there's room in God's family for everybody. For everybody, people like you and me and people who are not, not like us at all, who are very, very different than each of us. There's room in God's kingdom, his family for everybody. All people are invited into a growing relationship with God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit through faith and belief in this Jesus who we celebrate at Christmas. And so on the back of that question, how well have you unwrapped the gift? 
Can I simply invite you in this Advent season to consider or to reconsider your relationship with this loving, generous, spacious God, to review how you are responding to God's salvation gift of love, to commit or to recommit, to work on knowing him and knowing Jesus, to, to choose to live such a changed, transformed and full life, modelled on the life of the Master Jesus, that because of your humble service of others, and based on the generosity, justice and transparent integrity and showing the way with love and grace, you can be the gift to others in this special season of the year, so that they too will know about God. And Jesus, and that so too they can know about the gift of God and his love in Jesus who died, lived, died and rose again. And through that knowledge that they too would begin to experience life in the spirit now as well as having hope for the future. And it's my sense that's the gift that everybody wants. Life in the spirit now as well as hope for the future. How well have you unwrapped the gift? Can we pray together? Gracious, generous God, it's Christmas. <laughs> we thank you for the joy and the simplicity and the yet complexity and wonder of this season. May we continue to be open to receive all that you have for us in your gift the gift of your son and the gift of your spirit, the gift of your love and the gift of your mercy, the gift of your hope, the gift of your compassion. May we be so filled with you that others, in the way that we act, the way that we speak, the way we nudge into people in the supermarket line, the way we drive, the way we give ourselves away, we'll be able to know about you too. And we pray these things together in Jesus' name. Amen.